Hello and welcome to the Learn Medical Art podcast where we share our tips, tricks and advice on the medical illustration and animation industry. I'm Emily Holden, a medical illustrator and animator. And I'm Anna Campbell, also a medical illustrator and animator. You can find our show notes and resources from this episode and more educational content, such as industry interviews, tutorials, and more at www.learnmedical.art. So joining us today is Diogo Guerra, a medical and veterinary illustrator with a background in veterinary medicine. After seeing there was a gap in the market for high quality visual resources for the veterinary field, Diogo decided to change his career path and begin to create beautiful resources that combine intricate illustrations with well-conceived and clear designs. His work is gorgeous and we've been following it for a long time. So without further delay, let's get started. Yay! Hi Diogo! Hi guys, thank you so much for having me. Oh no problem, how are you doing today? Oh good, I'm very happy for for being here and uh, this feels very meta, you know, like being on a podcast that I listen to uh, when I work, it's amazing. Oh, we're so delighted to have you today. So to begin with, I'd love to start just by learning how you ended up discovering your passion for the field of like medical and veterinary illustration. So when I when I look back, I always feel that somehow it was meant to be, although I, I, I didn't know that I was going to end up being a medical illustrator. I loved animals and I loved drawing uh, when I was a kid and I, I just used to watch uh, National Geographic documentaries and uh, a lot of stuff with dinosaurs as well and then I, I would just spend all my weekends drawing uh, all that. But I, I never took art seriously in a sense that I never felt someone would be willing to pay me to draw for them. So in the end, I when I had to decide where to go, I I, I didn't choose art. I ended up choosing uh, biology, uh, well, the natural science uh, pathway, and um, eventually veterinary medicine, which I, I love. And it was during all those years of education that I felt, as you, Emily, said, that there was something lacking in, in terms of educational materials for veterinary students and even veterinary professionals. There was not a lot of good artwork and especially not in the same standard as human anatomy with which has like a super rich history of medical art and also more resources to invest in this type of material so during my education uh, as a veterinarian i felt hey maybe this could be something but let's see i mean i let it sleep for a while i didn't think too much about it and eventually, when I finished my master's in veterinary medicine, I ended up doing some work as a researcher. That was what led me to move from Portugal to Switzerland. It was also amazing. I, I loved to work as a researcher. I, I learned a lot personally, professionally. And again, I kept feeling that scientists were not communicating as well as they could. Uh, they were not using images to showcase their results, a way to communicate with their peers. And I, I remember putting a lot of effort when I had to do a presentation or when I had to make a poster uh, in, into the visuals. And then suddenly this semester course uh, in scientific uh, illustrations for scientists showed up and I thought, okay, let's, let's do it. I, I think this is a, an opportunity for me to explore this area. Uh, at the time, I, I wasn't sure if I should keep working in research, if I should do something else. So I just decided, okay, let's try it out and then we shall see. Taking this uh, semester course in scientific illustration for researchers, that was a turning point. That was very eye-opening. And I felt that those after-work hours were the best time of my week. Yeah, there was just a click in there. Like, I I really like what I'm doing. We learned a lot about mostly analog drawing and painting techniques, from like pencil, pen and ink, uh, watercolor, uh, and then bases of uh, light and color theory and design. And it all made sense and it all was super useful. Um, 
I had never had a formal training in, in art, although I, I had been drawing all those years, but it was all very, you know, for me and without any structure. That kind of gave me a glimpse of all, all the things that there were out there and I could be learning. It also felt really good. Uh, so I was about to conclude my research project and I was working in parasitology. So basically I was investigating small parasites that existed in foxes and uh, how they were transmitted from foxes to rodents and sometimes to humans. Something definitely not artistic, <laughs> but very interesting nonetheless. But as I was approaching the end, I felt, okay, I, I don't know if the scientific career is what, what would make me the most happy. Uh, I was so fortunate that at the time, the, you know, my teacher, Tom Reed, he was so encouraging. Later on, he told me that he was super afraid, but he just gave me the green light and said, yeah, you should go for it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was very supportive. And he, he, I started looking around and there wasn't indeed a lot of people who had the background in veterinary medicine and who were doing uh, medical illustration. And I thought maybe that was one of the reasons why veterinary medicine was lacking as well, a lot of more detailed or, or even people just focusing on, on that and not on medical illustration in general. I decided, okay, let's try. Let, let, let's try it out. I don't know if I could do it today. I, I mean, looking back, I feel a bit proud of myself. Like, good for you that you tried. Yeah, you had the guts to actually go like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it. And just take the leap rather than, I think a lot of people, I guess it's always the uncertainty when you're pursuing a creative career. You're not sure. I think that's what puts a lot of people off it completely. And especially if people who end up in the kind of medical illustration field, they'll always start off in the scientific route because you think it's a more for sure path. And it always kind of creeps back in. And then you just need to have that moment, I guess, that you had to take the leap and go like, right, go do it. Definitely. I think things just came together perfectly. I, I was about to leave a specific job in a specific area where I didn't see myself. And I, I got positive feedback from other people. And that all helped me build a bit of courage, I, I guess, to try it out and just uh, start slowly as the freelancer. Yeah, th th those first years were a, like an amazing learning curve because then I also took some uh, private drawing and painting classes, oh. which were also helpful to solidify a lot of the, the things that I had learned and practiced on my own. Eventually, one of my teachers, who Jan Peter, she, she was one of the professors at the Zurich School of Art and Design, and she was responsible for the medical illustration uh, course there. She told me about this project that was going to start. It was a, a book on virology done by the Veterinary Institute, which was next door to the place that I had been working for the past two years. Very handy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they, they were going to need someone to illustrate this full textbook. And then she said, look, I need someone that understands what's going on with all this uh, scientific background. And I don't think at the moment we have anyone here who could understand it as well as you. So would you be interested in joining us? for one year or so and, and do this book with us. And I mean, it, it was amazing. And I, again, I, I think having people believing in you early on, I think it's such a, an important, if these small steps, when I look back, it hadn't happened, things would have been totally different for me. So mm -hmm. I, I'm very, very grateful for her for giving me that opportunity. Yeah, then I, that, that was like my first, I had done like small freelance stuff, but that, that, that was my first job as a medical illustrator. And I, I was one year and some months working at the veterinary faculty's um, graphic department. And uh, it, it, it worked a bit as an internship. I had colleagues who taught me a lot. I perfected a lot my, my work with Adobe Illustrator. Those two initial years were between taking the course and feeling that 
could be something. And then going into this uh, first more serious job were uh, like a great learning curve for me. And a lot of what I know uh, today, it was really due to those experiences that I had. If I had to select a moment and this to answer back to your question, Emily, when did I realize I wanted to be a medical illustrator? I think it kept happening and pieces of the puzzle just got together perfectly and I, I just accepted it and, and, and went with it. Can we talk a little bit about the course at Zurich? Is it still going? If people who want to follow in your footsteps, can they still go do that course? I think at the moment, for sure not, due to the you know current pandemic situation. I think, so Tom Reed, who was the person doing the, the course, he kept doing that uh, some years after. And at some point, he was also joined by this really nice infographer, uh, Marina Brown, I think that's how you, you, you say her name. And they, they were doing these more structured courses at the University of Zurich, also I know at the University of Lausanne. So maybe they are still there. It's really a matter of people looking for it. I think everyone that is enrolled at a PhD program in, in those universities, or if not in the university, at least in the city, they could have a look if they are still offering something like that. I Yeah, I totally recommend. <laughs> so you mentioned that um, a lot of what you were getting taught was kind of more traditional skills and stuff. Did you have kind of like sets, projects? I know that a lot of you know, like master's programs and stuff, they'll have their kind of like set, like every student draws this, every student draws that. Mm. Was there anything in particular about the syllabus that you think people would find interesting? One really good thing that came out of it was the power of observation. So that, that was something that was really reinforced every lesson. So we, usually we got some um, like bones or stuffed animals uh, from the Natural History Museum. And, and then we, we could decide which medium we wanted to do. We had like our small project for a couple of uh, lessons. And then after we finished, we could start a new one. I think the power of observation was really something that I, I think is easier to neglect when you are drawing. You just assume you know things and then you, you, you want to mm. be faster and then you just go at it. But that was really good for me uh, because I hadn't learned to work that way, right? I was amateur and the way I, I, I drew an apple was I drew an apple as I thought the apple would be and uh, I would uh, color it red because yeah, an apple is red. Yeah, when, once you look at it, okay, no, it's not only red, you have all these other colors in there. So I think that as a starting point, that, that was really important. I mean, the, the main goal of this course was not for people to become uh, scientific illustrators. It was really to furnish researchers better tools to communicate their data uh, and which uh, of course if then you you keep practicing and apply what you learn there you could for sure elevate all the work that you do into something a bit more structured and complex did you have an exit plan because you were essentially shifting careers right like okay i'm gonna go freelance and by six months i'm gonna be here and by a year i'm gonna be here or was it just go with the flow no that's a, a great question i knew that i could always go back to science i could do things in science that i would be very happy with so i think that was something that i had in the back of my mind i mean if things don't go as i plan i can always do a phd for example on a subject that i really like yeah and keep working on it i i don't think i would i would be too unhappy you know if i had to do that i just kept trying okay let's see where this goes because just a step up on the ladder of happiness let's call it that way that's so nice I, I think I had given myself like a year to make sure it worked. 
If not, I, I could start looking at, at, at other stuff. I mean, I, I have to say that the, the response was not all positive. Of course, there were people that looked at me. Why are you doing this? Why are you throwing away? There's always those people, <laughs> the naysayers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gotta block them out. Exactly. And something that I later found out was that I was not throwing away all the years that I had worked in research and studied veterinary medicine because I felt a big advantage when I had to, for example, communicate with clients or understand what, what I was going to draw because I had that background. People often, not anymore now, but in the beginning, don't you miss being a veterinary? Uh, don't you miss all the things that you learn? And, but I, I'm still using them. I'm still somehow a veterinary. I just work in a totally out-of-the-box field. When we say that medical art is really a mix of science and art, I, I think that couldn't be more true. I think that's really reassuring for some of our audience members because for those that are looking for a career switch from research to medical illustration or scientific illustration, they're always worried that like, oh, I've spent so many years learning this. Is that all just going to go to waste and have to spend so many years learning something else? But like you just said, that adds to the experience and the, the services that you're going to offer as an artist. Definitely. Yeah. You'll know the lingo, you have the knowledge, you don't have to learn new things from scratch. It's just adding on to that. So yeah, I think your story is quite inspirational and motivational for a lot of people. I also remember I once went into a studio of medical illustrators and uh, the head of the studio. The studio was at uh, Zurich uh, University and she invited me and uh, a couple of other people who were interested in the, in the area just to, to see what was her workflow and her office, just to have a, a sense of what it is to, to work as a scientific illustrator. And she was, she was very reassuring for, to us as well, she said that in the end, the client will not go into your CV and look whether you took a BA in fine arts or you have a master's in veterinary medicine. I think what they look at is the portfolio. And if your portfolio is good, they would be willing to hire you. For me, that was great to listen to because, of course, I totally understand the feeling of people that are starting now. and This feeling of, do I belong here? Uh, am I not stepping on someone else's jobs? Uh, so all those fears and, and doubts, they were very real. I think as long as you are true with yourself and you make sure that you are learning the things that you need to learn to move from one field to the other, I think it should be fine. I think that's one of the things that I like about the field as well. One of the things that I think is good to take a little bit of confidence from is like nobody interprets things the same way as well. So it's like you're never stepping on someone else's toes because you would never do something the exact same way as someone else would do it. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of nice that everyone's kind of like adding value to it. So I think the way that you look at it resonates with the same way that I look at it. It's like, no, it's important if you want to do it and you feel like you want to be in it, then just pursue it. And so just in general, with the medical art industry, is there anything you feel like our listeners would benefit from knowing about it or what kind of person would suit working in this field in general? I think, for example, one thing that worked for me is that I could find a niche where my background would be a plus. I'm sure that everyone has their own path, their own focus areas where they will be stronger. And I think if that is aligned with also what they like to illustrate, go for it. I think finding a niche is really what is important. I, I think there is a lot of work for medical illustrators nowadays. And I mean, we saw during this COVID situation that not only it's absolutely essential that we communicate visual, but we also need to make sure that people are understanding what the science is, right? So um, I think being eager to learn and being curious are, are definitely important. I think a bit of flexibility is also relevant. And flexibility, I mean, in 
being able to work in different languages or being able to work remotely or not focusing only on one field like maybe you have your strong areas where you do most of your work with but then maybe do one or two projects on other related or non-related areas I think curiosity and keep learning I think that is for sure something important nowadays we we see the advent of 3d visualization not 3d visualization but VR and all the possibilities that we I mean we, we don't know whether they stick or not but for sure it's a growing field and uh, worth exploring so there there is for sure as technology advances there are new ways of becoming of, of, of being a medical illustrator right it's not only the more uh, traditional like analog or digital now it's it expanded very rapidly even UX and UI design is for sure something that also I would consider within the umbrella of medical illustration yeah I wish I knew more about UX and UI I think it's such an important uh, field nowadays and uh it's all about patient journey, isn't it? Or user journey. And then when it comes to medical stuff, it's just like, what's their user journey if they want to learn about something that's going on in their body? And I'm sure there's got to be proven methodology as to what they usually go to first and then how they navigate your systems and stuff. Maybe we can talk about your projects. What are you working on right now? What's your side project? Or if you can, what's your client projects that you're working on now? I work part-time as a freelancer and part-time as a, a member of the creative team at a medical communication agency in, in Zurich. So the work we do for the you know, MedComs agency, it's more related to pharma clients, a lot, of, a lot about communicating specific drugs, specific treatments. Those are also a bit more protected, so I, I cannot disclose too much about those. And then for freelance stuff, I this uh, month I, I'm actually doing a workshop for scientists on illustration and design. So a bit similar Ooh. to the course that I took ten years ago now back in Zurich. So we'll cover a bit of you know w- what are important, what are the important topics for people who don't have a background in art to make their own figures. You know, even if very simple, but how can we make simple but very effective figures? So th- this is my project during January in the bit of uh, February. I'm also finalizing a couple of projects for two U.S. clients on anatomy and surgery. It should be released soon, so I, I hope I, I can really share that. Two very good collaborations. I was really happy they were, they were for publications so the smaller projects. And then I have two longer-running projects. One is a book on the vascular and neurological anatomy in animals. I've shared a bit of those on my social media. So this is a, yeah, a longer project that we are taking our time to develop, make sure that everything... And where can people find you on your social media? Is it Instagram? Well, Instagram for sure, at the Medical Vet Art. <laughs> I will add those to our show notes underneath as well. I started off on Twitter recently, so Medical Vet Art would be the same. And uh, if you want a, a bit more, you know, background and context, LinkedIn. Uh, just Google me on LinkedIn, and there I, I do provide a bit more of background to the, to the project that I'm talking about. This anatomy project, and then the, another parasitology one on parasites in dogs, which I, I cannot disclose too much about, but it's a very exciting one, and hopefully this one should be released by the end of the year. So yeah, these are the things that I am working at the moment. Can you talk more about the workshop? So who can attend? This was actually, I, I was invited by the Portuguese Association of Biomedical Engineers, and they they wanted, yeah, they wanted to offer something for PhD students and postdocs and researchers in general to be able to communicate better their findings. So yeah, we put together a four-week 
course, uh, eight hours, where people could learn a bit about you know, basics of uh, Adobe Illustrator, of design, color theory, copyright, uh, how to export figures in a proper format, a bit of poster and uh, PowerPoint design, so just very general guidance for people to, you know, just step up a bit their, their game in terms of visuals. And uh, yeah, this started last week until first week of February. Cool, that sounds so interesting. Yeah. Do you think there's scope for it to be released on your website where maybe people who aren't affiliated with the university, like from other places, can they take your workshop? Is there something like that in the future? Oh, that's a, a good question. I hadn't thought of, about it. I, so I've, I've done these types of workshops in, in the past here in, in, in Portugal. For me, the only limiting factor was always time. Like I need to make sure that I have proper time to do this because I also, one of the things that we do on the workshop is that I also comment separately on each one's homework. They all have homework and I try to provide individual feedback. Yeah, so that it's a bit more personal. It's not only like a software. I don't know, maybe, you know, in the, in the future. I, I do something like that. Thanks for the tip, Annie. <laughs> oh, no, it's just so many people are asking for stuff like this. And I feel like this would just fit that perfectly, mm -hmm. that need. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but people can always reach out. And, you know, if they have a bunch of people that are interested in a workshop of this nature, it's really a matter of finding, you know, a schedule that fits everyone involved. So can you tell us a little bit about your process for like illustration from like, when a client gets in touch and inquires about getting work done all the way through to like your final output? Usually it either starts with a, you know, a message through LinkedIn, for example. LinkedIn, I have found a very good tool to communicate with the researchers because it's a bit more professional. People are there really for work. I totally recommend LinkedIn as a communication tool for clients. And then if they see your work, this happened a lot during the last year. I had a couple of people getting in touch because they had seen work of mine on LinkedIn and they had thought, oh, whenever I need someone, I could call this person. LinkedIn for sure, then uh, via email. What I always try to do when someone gets in touch is either send them the contact form for clients, even if we are going to have like a formal meeting after. Uh, this is always good to send beforehand for people to know what type of questions I'm going to ask them for me to elaborate a quote. Often we, we get, you know, very simple emails where, oh, I, I want this illustration, how much would that be? With those type of information, we, we yeah, you know, we, we cannot generate uh, much. I always try to schedule a call with them, see what type of project they are in, also the type of client that they are, like, do they prefer to communicate via email? Do they prefer to communicate via call? Yeah, and from there on, we send out a quote, they hopefully agree with it and then we <laughs> we start with a, you know another initial meeting where we define a bit for example if it's a series of illustrations we try to define what goes into each one of them in terms of general concepts we also speak a bit about the style sometimes they have their own ideas and then then i can have a look and see if those ideas fit well with uh, how I think the project will communicate better and always try to come to a, like a middle common ground where the client is happy with the style, but we also advise them to go into a route which is better for them, basically, which is more engaging for their, for their own materials. And then depending on the complexity of the project, we have a series of iterations, right? We send the first draft for them to review. Again, some clients would like to review this by a call, others would just prefer to comment on a PDF and a second draft, and then either a final version for approval, or we do a couple more iterations, depending on what was agreed as well in the beginning. Yeah, and then sending the final project, I usually also finish with a questionnaire uh, to know how they felt 
about the project, uh, like a satisfaction uh, questionnaire where they can answer, like, did they like working with me? What can they feel were the best? What can they felt were needed improvement? And uh, this is very helpful in the longer run because then you can really see, okay, what am I not doing well or what could I be doing more to make sure that they have the best, uh, you know, experience working, collaborating with me. It's kind of nice to see some similarities between our process and yours. So I feel a little bit validated. <laughs> we need to get more on the questionnaire front, though. <laughs> <laughs> I can see, like, there's such value to it. And I think I have done it a couple of times in the past. Mm-hmm. I think it's just that, not remembering to do it, but just that final, oh, can I have your feedback now, please? Yeah. Rather than just be like, oh, good, glad you're happy. On to the next one. It's actually really valuable to take that minute to get proper feedback from your mm-hmm. client rather than, okay, cool, done, bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I try to do, and again, easier said than done, I have like a checklist for projects where I, I see where I am at each stage and then the last stage, okay, send the form to the client. And then once that's ticked off, you can close that project. You spoke a little bit about your style and I like how fluid it is and it's very personalized and catered towards your client and their goals. But do you have a preferred style? Because you've got such beautiful pieces of work. But we can see there are some, you know, very clean ones and there's hyper-realism in there. What's your favorite and what influences your work? I, I love anatomy. I, I really like drawing anatomy. Uh, animal anatomy is one of my favorite things to illustrate. So I, I do like to spend a bit of time in, in Photoshop adding the details when that's relevant. It's a lot of fun to just take anatomy and try to depict it in a more technical illustration style where you really need to think, do I need to include this? You have to be very minimalistic and at the same time convey all the information that you need to. This technical illustration inspired yeah, type of drawings is something that I really like to do, especially because then you can play a lot with design around it. Design is also something that I really like play with when I when I do this type of illustrations. I would say maybe those two. Sometimes I think, oh, I, I look at people's portfolios and I, they're amazing. Why don't I do more of them? You know, if it is if it's like super realistic renderings and they look amazing and I wish I had done something like that. But I always have to step down and think, okay, no, there was a reason why you didn't go for that. I, I always try to keep this balance of doing something that I that I think is useful and uh, having fun with it, but also then sometimes going a bit for a more detailed one when when the project asks for that. You might have people looking at your work and going like, oh, it's so simple. It's genius. Like, why did I spend all that time doing that when I could have done it this way? It's so much smarter. Yeah, yeah. It's funny the way that like other people maybe like interpret each other's work. Most definitely. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's just fawning over each other's work, not realizing. Oh. We're all loving it. We're all just loving it. I get. <laughs> yeah, we discussed this uh, a couple of months ago, and right when when we were at uh, this conference, where we were just acknowledging that, right? I, I I always have that in my don't forget notes. That if you go into someone else's portfolio, don't compare yourself to it, please. Just enjoy and take inspiration. Again, easier said than done, but I I think what you said, Emily, is really true. That you, it's easier for us to look at other people's work and ask, why did I do that? We just need to remember that there was a reason why we didn't. As long as we are fine with the decisions we took in the first place, it didn't matter. So what piece of work would you say you're most proud of to date then? So I really like this animal dissection manual that I did a couple of years ago. It was probably one of my first big projects. And I mean, looking back, I know there are things that I would have done differently today. But I, I was very happy because it was a book that was made by former professors of mine, people that I had been 
getting lessons from and looking back and thinking, oh, how funny it would be if I had a book like this to study when I was at the vet school. So being able to work together with professors of mine and at the same time give back something that I, I was sure that would help people learn. Yeah, I, I felt very I felt very happy about it because that was exactly why I had started being an illustrator in the first mm-hmm. place, right? So I think that project really represents what I take a lot of pride of as being a medical illustrator. I think it represents a lot of the good things that I, that I like about this, this job. I would say, for example, the new projects that I'm working on are also probably going to be some favorites. But uh, for now, let's say that 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 one was for sure. And is it safe to say that animal dissections are your favorite thing to draw? Or is there something else that you love to draw? Maybe, yeah, maybe yes. (laughs) It sounds morbid, I know, but we're all very interested in it. No, I I would have to say that uh, animal dissections or necropsy in opposition to autopsy, I think that would be the... Probably the thing that I, I take that makes me the most happy when drawing right? because it's really about taking what you see and building knowledge around it, regardless of whether you represent everything, you simplify, you remove one structure because it's not going to help the viewer. So I think that puzzle of figuring out, first of all, knowing where things are and how they work, I think is fascinating. Uh, you know, the different organs, the different tissues, and then being able to make a render of that in a way that people would be able to learn from it. It's very, yeah, very engaging. I, I, I find that the process very, very rewarding. And I, I did a lot of, uh, again, we go into the gore, gore area now, like as a vet, I did a lot of animal dissections. And it is a fascinating process to understand how, how we, like we and like, as creatures are built on the inside and, and see that things are so different be- between species, but at the same time, there is some sort of, structures that they kind of stay in the same place and they just change their appearance yeah i i think it's uh yeah anatomy in general is very fascinating so other than like looking at dissections and things like that what would be your other ways of approaching research for a project do you have like a certain system or places that you go to look for research of course depending on 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 what you are illustrating in anatomy process for sure having a, a live dissection uh, and be able to attend it it's for sure the, the the best way to get all the knowledge of course it's not all, always possible to do that so really compiling as much information as possible from videos online and descriptions i find it very interesting that a lot of old articles are very good sources of information for weird anatomy in weird i say like anatomy of, I don't know, a specific snake or a specific uh, insect, whatever. But the older papers, contrary to maybe what we would assume, they, they deal a lot with basic anatomy. So I find them very good, a very good starting point to, to read the descriptions of how the people you know, reacted and observed uh, the specimens. And this really helps you to frame your knowledge and then be able to maybe check uh, some more current videos or read more sim- or check some more simplified works that have been done then not only to anatomy but all the all projects in general i i think having a reading a bit before like for example asking your client to send you a good review of a particular topic that you are going to illustrate or even this would be the best like if they can already send you the article that they are writing about and you can have a very good background knowledge on, on what you are working with i i think this is very important I also find that going out there and see what has been done in the same topic, it's also a really good exercise. Trying to see how other people solved 
some of the visual problem that maybe you are going to be faced with and do you like that approach like would what could you be, do better feeding off other people's experience by looking at their work i think is also something important to do before you start um drawing or sketching uh, anything yeah, it's, it's really interesting i guess with a lot of the subject matters that you are doing with the veterinary subject matter it's like we're so used to when we're working on like medical stuff there's so many different medical illustrations of human anatomy and stuff mm -hmm. so it's interesting to hear you've got your own experience but then how you'd approach kind of looking at stuff that maybe hasn't been visualized before and we also have a part in our process for research and what you mentioned is seeing what's been done already and that we call mm -hmm. that our, that's our market research part so all of our artists needs to go through that source images to see what's been done can it be done better what worked what didn't work and also to avoid drawing the same thing as someone else because that's inevitably going to happen isn't it exactly if yeah. we're all drawing the same heart i was just going to emphasize that sometimes the inspiration may come from a totally unrelated area yeah. i have this folder on my laptop where i just save images that i think okay this would be like this color scheme is very effective or this way of organizing things are is for sure going to be useful uh, for something else so keeping that kind of uh, melting pot of inspiration saved somewhere i find it also very useful i can go back to and say okay i could use this on my particular project now so we saw that you had some of your work exhibited in the Natural History Museum in Lisbon. How did you find that whole experience? And can people still see it somewhere online and in person? Yes. So the exhibition, it's going to be running until November this year. This was an exhibition, ended up being inaugurated a bit later, but it, it was going to be running through the whole 2020 because Lisbon was the green capital, uh, like European green capital of 2020. So there were a lot of events uh, planned uh, around nature and environment. Of course, a lot of them had to be cancelled or postponed because of the pandemic. One of the one of those events was this um, exhibition at the Natural History Museum where they were going to showcase a lot of the work from um, naturalistic illustrators from Portugal, or even if not Portuguese, people that had done work within like Portuguese territory, like Portugal in some Azores and Madeira, the islands where we have a lot of uh, sea life. Yeah, and I, I got an, an invitation, oh my gosh, I don't know when, like last year or maybe 2019, maybe. They said they were going to organize it. They were looking for Portuguese uh, scientific illustrators who had done some work around more naturalistic topics, either botany or zoology, which for me was really a bit out of my portfolio because I, I would focus more on medical illustrators. So getting, you know, the invite was, I, I felt, you know, very privileged and honored for them to include me because, you know, these people that I ended up showcasing with, they, they have amazing portfolios in zoology. You know, my, my, the work that I could exhibit on that area, on those fields was very limited. Yeah, I mean, it happened, it, all the contact with the organizers were, of course, online, but they did an amazing job organizing the exhibition. They have a first section with older illustrations where they showcase the older illustration works, uh, also things that were commissioned by, by kings and even drawings from one of the Portuguese kings who was very into yeah. bird watching. So it's oh. really, really interesting. And I, I find that there's something special about looking at old illustrations, like old scientific illustrations. There is a level of detail and uh, sometimes the use of color, which is very rich. And there's something very inspirational about it. So I, for me, it's always a delight to be able to see those works. Yeah, there you can for sure see a lot of that. 
And then they have another half of the exhibition, which is only about like new contemporary scientific illustrators, where they showcase, you know, a lot of the new techniques, digital modeling, 3D printing, animation. I have some interviews as well with some people. It, it, it was very, it was a very nice uh, experience to be going there as a visitor. And if people that are able to go there at the moment, it's, it's not online yet. I think eventually they, they would like to do that. The moment is only uh, in like physical form. But if anyone is around Lisbon and feel like seeing a lot of really nice and beautiful illustrations on animals and plants, I totally recommend. So let's step into the geeky side of your day job. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, and this is something everyone is always interested in. Can you talk about how you structure your regular day? It's a day in a life. One thing that I always try to do is I, when I plan my days, is I, I try to have a main task that I focus myself on. And of course, this is mostly for my freelance life. When I work in the medical communications agency, the, the pace is very different. It's not possible to do that all the time. When possible, I think having a one ma- major task that you can focus on Something that I started doing last year and it had to be very effective was also to set a timer of 50 minutes. So I, I would work for 50 minutes and then I, I forced myself to stand up and go somewhere and do something either, I don't know, prepare a small snack or eat the cats or <laughs> I don't know, even do some house stuff as I, I work from home, go for a small walk, whatever. Just really forcing yourself to go out of your desk and think about something else that has proved to me very helpful, even in those days where you're like, oh, I need to finish this. I really cannot go 10 minutes out of my desk because then I won't be able to, to finish. But even in those days, when I, again, as you said, and then when I force myself to do it, it has proven to be effective in kind of recharging your batteries and coming with a new approach to what you're doing, uh, finding some solutions where you didn't see any light before. Mornings, I try to answer some emails, then I start working. Uh, lunch break and then I hopefully try not to work too late I, I, I really try to set a time where okay, this is no longer acceptable you should have your free time now and uh, and I think the struggle here is always to make sure that when you plan your days your task is not finished it's more like within this project do these in particular mm-hmm. then you can fi- you can conclude that particular part because then if, when, when I don't set proper goals, then I'm always feeling frustrated at the end of the day because I feel like I didn't do all the things that I had intended to because I didn't have one of those in the first place. So I was, I was setting myself up for failure. So trying to have those kind of mini goals per day, I, I found very useful. And then usually after work, I, I try, when life was different, I try to you know, go out a bit, coffee or uh, you know, have dinner with a friend or do some pottery oh, after work. Great. It sounds like a really nice, manageable way that you you structure your day. You know, it sounds something people always get overwhelmed with or procrastinate. And you seem to have a nice balance of allowing yourself to work and step away from work. And so you're not burnt out. Yeah. Yeah, Again, easier said than done. I think there are (laughs) there are times where you get too caught up with what you're doing and you feel that the only way of finishing is just forcing yourself to keep working. I would say most of the times there is a way out of there. Sometimes you just end up working later. And uh, it's always a problem because when people that work in the creative field, they are very passionate about what they're doing. You always tend to feel, oh, but I like what I'm doing. Fine, if I stay a bit longer. So other than you mentioned setting yourself a timer, do you have any other kind of productivity tools that help you throughout the day? Not many. Every now and then I read some, you know, 
blogs and articles about productivity. And I think it's really personal, right? Whatever works for me may not work for someone else. What I found useful was this, you know, 50 minutes timer for sure going, if possible, out after work, go for a walk, uh, do some sport, something, some activity that takes you off the computer. Being open to feeling inspired, I think, could be in the long run a good productivity task. You know, the thing that I was talking before about saving whatever you found inspiring in a specific folder or on Pinterest and then going back. I think this saves us time in the long run. I also avoid checking emails on the weekends again. But I think it's really helpful to disconnect. That for me has been a, a, a struggle in during these times because when you are always at home, it's difficult mm-hmm. to disconnect and uh, like to keep a separate balance, like keep a balance between your personal life and work life. But I, I think that also helps for productivity, making sure that it's not like 10 in the evening and you are still, you know, checking your, your phone or like for email, work emails and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I try to, again, because I work from home, I really try to protect myself and not fall in the trap of checking if someone asked, answered or if there is any news. So I, I really try to block those those you know websites from from my side what kind of softwares do you use as part of your day-to-day also let us know what those website blockers are so that we can use them as well i used one at some point i really i don't remember the name anymore but it was a free one you could it was an i think an app for google i ended up uninstalling it because there were always ways around it and i (laughs) i found myself (laughs) cheating Um, just procrastinating or trying to crack your own code about to get into another thing now that i think of it i would discourage people from going to the email every hour Mm -hmm. do that way more than i should for example and someone was talking about this the other day about the fallacy of being too fast to answer emails because the faster you answer the faster people will reply to you so you will never end up uh, with a clean inbox and that was very, that was good to listen to. I at least feel that I need to have my inbox clean and clear so that I, I feel, okay, now I can start working. Sometimes it's just not possible and uh, you, you shouldn't be checking your emails or social media that often. I think that takes a bit away from your focus. Yeah, that would be mm-hmm. another tip. But I, I haven't used any blockers. It has been only my will. Maybe that shows that I'm not that effective. I should be installing some <laughs> some of the blockers. <laughs> you have other softwares then. Do you use like the Adobe suite or do you use something different? Because you paint digitally, right? But is there any kind of traditional techniques in your pipeline at all? I would say 95% of my work is, is digital. I work with Photoshop, InDesign, Illustrator. Recently, I've also started working a lot with data visualization, so softwares like Tableau and and Forage. It's a really fun area where I, if someone would tell me two years ago, oh, graphs are so fun, Uh, I'd rather be drawing. But there is really really so much to learn about perception when you study how graphs should be depicted. I find that very satisfying to work on data visualization and the Learn. Also, I can bring design into that, so it's also another that I like. So yeah, for Oriental Blue, I've been experimenting lately. I draw some, you know, watercolor and uh, pencil, and sometimes also color pencils, but it's most, for me, usually due to time constraints. And yeah, I, I haven't done a lot of, you know, not like analog drawing for client projects in a long time. 
I know a lot of Portuguese illustrators, science science illustrators, and they work a lot with the wildlife guides where they need to represent animals with a reasonable degree of uh, realism. We have a very big school on fish uh, drawing, and some people do amazing work in watercolor and gouache. I think in that case, it really suits the purpose that they they have. It's really amazing to see. I don't think like a digital illustration would be able to reflect that richness and detail as good as they do with uh, those analog techniques. But yeah, I think on medical illustration, it's a different story. I think there is a lot of non-organic materials you need to depict, which sometimes don't see very well analogic type of technique. So in general, what's your workstation setup? Do you have, do you work on like a desktop or are you mainly on your laptop? So I have my own laptop and then I, I have it connected to, you know, a large screen and my Cintiq uh, drawing uh, tablet. Yeah, I find this works really well because then I could potentially, if I need, I can take my, my laptop somewhere and uh, if I have to have a client meeting or do a presentation, I have the stuff with, with me. Apart from that, I, I mean, I, I do like to have my books behind or nearby <laughs> where I can really just, yeah, it gives, a bit of, gives me a bit of uh, comfort to have the medical textbooks around, I think. That's also important. Having a good internet connection, uh, having cats in your office, I totally recommend as well. I think, especially during these times, having pets has been such a amazing. I mean, a good podcast. You're you're set to go. <laughs> what do you think of the main advantages for freelancing or running your own business as opposed to working for an organization? For some reason, I've always looked forward to having this type of setup, like being able to have a more stable income coming from a, working for a specific agency and then having a more free type of work where I could select more of the projects that I wanted to do as a freelancer. I mean, if one is combining both, the biggest struggle is really the balance, right? Making sure that whatever you do on one side doesn't overflow to the other. As I was saying before, the pace in a, in a communications agency is a bit faster. Uh, the type of clients are also usually larger, uh, you have a bit more restrictions because you are working with branding guidelines. But that comes with a lot of good training because you force yourself to think a bit outside the box. Like you have these tools, you have this kind of frame, how can I do what is best for this project within this and make it work? And I have, I have found that a good exercise, like how can I be more efficient? You are all also a bit more conscious of how much effort you should apply to a specific task. And all those bad restrictions, they are actually a very good exercise for you to be inventive and be looking out for, you know, what type of resources you could use to make these uh, look good with a specific time frame. So, yeah, I, I think uh, a medical communication type of work has been a, a great uh, learning curve for me. Also being able to share, you know, work with other creatives has been so great. That's the downfall of being a freelancer. You're usually on your own. But sharing your work with other people and like sharing feedback and comments and learning from their own techniques and approaches, I think it's super helpful. Yeah, and I would even extend, as we were discussing a bit before, the advantage of having, for example, medical writers working with us that you get very good eye for detail for words. Sometimes, I mean, as an illustrator, sometimes that's uh, something that you neglect a bit, but I have found that type of insight, like when to use an end dash or where does the reference go before or after period, 
So all those tiny details, they really make your work, uh, your visual work, more proficient. I've been very lucky to be working at this agency of medical writers for the past, I think yeah, it's going to be three years now. It has been a, a great learning curve. Also, I was very fortunate to have this three-day agency and two-day freelance type of setup, which allows me to really learn from both and bring whatever I learn from one area to the other. Yeah, that, that has been very, very nice. As a freelancer, yeah, you, you have more freedom. You have, of course, also more responsibilities. You, you are the one contacting the clients. You are the one looking for your own business. You're also more free with the type of approach you can take for the project, right? You have a bit more of a creative control on how you conduct your, your illustration work. Once you get to a point where you can select a bit the type of work that you take, that also allows you to really get more proficient in a particular type of area or like tailoring more your portfolio or do a specific technique that you feel you want to improve. So honestly, having both worlds at the moment feels really the best setup for me. I, I, I see both the advantage and the disadvantages in both worlds, but I, I think when you find a good balance, it can be very productive and for your own like development as a professional and as a person. Yeah, sometimes people think you need one or the other, but it's nice to know that the option of both is there. Mm-hmm especially at times like this, you know. Exactly. And, I mean, in this case, I, I work remotely. I have always worked remotely for the, for this company. And, and it's funny because I was hired by them after I moved back from Zurich to Portugal. And uh, so I, I didn't know them when I was living in Zurich, which is amazing because then I, before, sometimes I would, I would be going there and when there were no, there was no Corona, but I, we would go there and like have some Christmas meetings and workshops. It was nice because it, I was going a bit back to a city where I had lived for almost five years. I had still friends there. I had my new colleagues there. It felt very comfy. Uh, the whole setup was very, very nice. So you talked about in your freelance business that you had clients in Europe, but you also had a couple of clients in the US. Can you talk to us about the percentages of clients that are European to international? Like, what does that look like for you as a freelancer? Around 70% of the, the clients that I have are non-Portuguese. And then within those 70, I would say, let's say like 30% Portuguese, 50% European and 20% non-European. I think that's quite fantastic because a lot of people who are worried about freelancing are that, you know, can I get clients where I live? But that's not the case. It's you can get international clients. The location doesn't matter, which you're you're showing right now it's, it's kind of perfect for you no definitely I, I i couldn't be a full-time illustrator if i only had portuguese clients i think it's a you know it's a small country uh, there are not a lot of resources so even if there was demand for that you couldn't do you couldn't go on living of just that and the, the world is is wide so we have internet now i i, I think that's uh that's a really good uh, reason for people to you know not limit them themselves to the place where they are. Of course, it's easier if you need to meet a client in person. But I mean, nowadays there are so many solutions, and this pandemic proved that we can have meetings face to face, virtually, and nothing is lost, right? So I would really encourage people to never second guess the possibility of going international with their clients. And for you to reach those potential clients, you mentioned LinkedIn as a really powerful tool for your marketing efforts. Do you have any other marketing tips to share with our listeners? Addressing specifically the people that have a background in science, you guys don't know how lucky you are for having that science background because I only realized this for me later on where when I was speaking with colleagues who had a, like for example, fine art background, they didn't know as many scientists as I did. I knew already a lot of potential clients 
I think that is very important, like putting your name out there and telling people that you are doing this. I think it's a very good uh, way of promoting yourself because I have found that word of mouth type of uh, publicity is very, very effective. You know, you can send thousands of emails, but if one client speaks to a colleague about you and that's enough. Really using your network, former colleagues, former even professors, people that even for a start, I think that's a really good way for people to even see if they like working as a medical illustrator. I Sometimes I get questions from, from students who are, for example, vets or, or researchers, and then they, they don't know where to start. And I, one of the things that I recommend is that they start by experimenting while they are still doing their research. Like Experiment first if you'd like to work in this field, and that could be by making sure you know the rules of the game and then also reaching out to people that are close to you and would need a specific illustration. And, uh, and yeah, start from that. I, I think using that network as a scientist is really, really, really valuable. But what are your plans and goals for the future? For sure, when I keep working more on you know, animal anatomy projects, I, I think there is a lot to be done in that area. And uh, that's, again, something really I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the fact that you know veterinarians they treat like millions of different species, right? So the the types of illustration that you will need are endless. So there's always going to be like a new type of animal that needs to be illustrated internally, right? That is for sure very exciting because there is an ever-ending possibilities uh, around the corner. So I I'm, for that I'm I'm really curious about. I also go back and forth about. Should I grow as a studio? Like, should I have one more person working with me? So this is for sure something that has every now and then uh, crossed my mind. And I think maybe in the future, that could be something worth exploring. It didn't even need to be a, you know, a medical illustrator. I, I think, for example, pairing up with a graphic designer mm. or a UX designer, you know, this could be a very interesting partnership. That's some food for thought for, you know, not next year, but for sure. In the long run. Yeah, and I, I want to keep learning more about data visualization. I, it's something that I have been really cultivating for the past year, and it's something that I, I've used a lot in my Metcom's agency work. I, I want to keep working a bit more on that. There's a lot of possibilities arising now with also like interactive uh, uh, software, so I want to dig a bit deeper into that. I know we've kind of talked about tips for making your way in the medical art field, I guess, but do you have any kind of final thoughts for anyone who's looking to, I guess, walk in your footsteps? The cliche would be, you know, don't uh, be afraid of trying. I think if you have the possibility to do it, you know, to stop your work for a while and try something different, I think you should go for it. I think if that's, you know, for example, financially complicated, what I said before about trying to see, you know, with small projects, whether you, you, that you can do on the side your normal work. Like, is this something that you like to do? Is this something that you would pay you well to do? And I also would encourage people to know basic business practices. I think this is important to make sure we are all playing a fair game with each other. Because I think it's easier to start doing some things for free because you think that's the only way we'll get uh, more clients. But I think in the long run, that can kind of, put you and other people uh, at peril because then you are setting a precedent. Uh, so know your value and, 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 and try to enforce those rules and, and know those rules when, when, you, when you start. I, I think this would be important. 
And I mean, YouTube is large. Keep learning. Just there's so many things there that you can learn from. Uh, so just be curious. I think that that would be a, another suggestion. We mentioned it earlier, but where can people find you and your work? So you guys can find me on LinkedIn as Diogo Guerra, on Facebook as uh, Medical and Veterinary Illustration by Diogo Guerra, and then on Twitter and Instagram at Medical Vet Art. Feel free to reach out, ask for friendship, and ask questions. I'm more than happy to to help. That's great. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. So great. Yeah, so good. (laughs) Thank you, Annie. Thank you, Emily. It's an honor to be here. And I cannot thank you enough for all the work that you guys have been putting out there during the the last year. I find you guys an inspiration and it's for sure a pleasure to be here. (laughs) And thanks everyone for tuning in to our Learn Medical Art podcast. You can find our show notes and resources from this episode on our website, www.learnmedical.art. Give us a follow on social media at Learn Medical Art. And if you want to get in touch, you can reach us via our website or send us a direct message. If you like this episode, go ahead, leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Stay tuned for our next episode where you share more tips, tricks and advice on working in the medical illustration and animation industry.